Uh, who knows? We're, we're just going to give that up to God and just uh, allow God to, to uh, grow this church, however small or big, whatever he wants, because it is his church. We are just managing what's happening here and really just trying not to mess it up. Uh, but we're, we're going to, um, about to uh, participate in another part of our worship service, which is the offering. Uh, an offering really is an integral part of the worship because you are offering uh, something in worship, and that's when you sing. When you when you sing some of the songs, and you may not have known all these songs, but even if you try, you're offering something in praise. You're offering your your voice. I know some of you have a joyful noise, and praise God for that. All right, and some of you have uh, great voices, and that's all good. God made everybody's voices unique, and but you are offering something, just like when when you uh, uh, when you give to the offering. Um, some people can give a lot, some people uh, can only give a little, but either way, God looks at the heart. And so, what we've done is we've designed this particular offering, uh, this Easter offering, to go towards a particular project. All right. So this project is a church that we are planting in Nicaragua. Now, let me set this up real quick. In Nicaragua, we uh, took a mission trip there last summer. And in this area uh, called Pasaya, uh, in Nicaragua, there's about 800 people that have accepted Christ as Savior. They're like, man, if I were to die today, I, I, don't, know, I don't know where I'd go. I don't really know that. And so we led them to the Lord. They prayed a prayer of salvation. We have a uh, local pastor there uh, in, the, in about a 30-minute drive to the next town over. But none of these people drive, all right? They, they just kind of walk everywhere in this, in this village area. And so they don't have a church building that they can meet in. But we're going we're gonna to change that with God's help. And here's where you come in. Because God uses all of us for that. So this summer, we're going to lay a foundation and concrete foundation for this structure and put a roof uh, for this church where these people have prayed to receive Christ in a place where the kids can come and, uh, and there could be Bible studies and worship and, and people can grow in their faith. So what we're going to do here in just a second, we're going to receive the offering and uh, every dime that you give to that is going to be allocated towards that building. All right? So what you give today is going to affect someone in that village and they're going to have a place that they can help lead their kids their children to the lord they can uh, bring their neighbors and people can grow in their faith and so we're going to uh, do the offering in just a second but one thing we like to do is we love to give the lord praise for the uh, opportunity for us to give and so lake point church it's time for the offering yes praise the lord we believe God's going to take that gift, and he's going to make that into an awesome place for them uh, to worship. So as the ushers get ready, let's go ahead and, and say a word of prayer and bless uh, this offering. You know, life can begin again. You know, there have been seasons in my life where uh, there's been sort of deadness in my life, and, and I've had to have a resurrection power of Christ in my life. And so... We all get to those places where we, we have uh, just, we feel dead. We feel like we're at a dead end and there's nothing else we could do and no other place we can go. And so Jesus is the only one who can bring that new life. In fact, this whole week of Holy Week, we talked, we, we talked last week about Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem. And we talked about how he was, uh, he was celebrated 
And then almost a few days later, he was turned against, and obviously he was beaten, laid on the cross, died, and was buried and rose again. And that's what we're celebrating today. But those are things that only Jesus can do. You know, Jesus can only, only Jesus can save us from our sins. There's nothing that you can do, there's nothing I can do to remove sin from my life. Only Jesus can do that. Only a faith and a belief in that sacrifice in Jesus is the only way that you can have your sin removed, I can have my sin removed. And so uh, we are here talking about the thing that only Jesus can do. And so our, our, our main focus is what can Jesus do in your life that nobody else can? Nobody else can. You know, as, as you look at Jesus' family, obviously he had Mary and Joseph, and he had Jesus, but Jesus also had some siblings. And, and I would imagine that the sibling that probably knew, uh, probably experiences more uh, the fact that Jesus can only do, only Jesus could do certain things was his brother James. Now, James was the next in line, okay, brother. And so I can just imagine, I mean, can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? I mean, really? I mean, that, how, I mean how can you live up to that, you know? I mean, if you, if you have Jesus next to you, I mean, it's like your parents would be like, James, why, why can't you be like Jesus, you know? I mean, that's like, really, Mom? Really, Dad? You know? And why can't you be like, like, your, brother, uh, like your brother Jesus? And so James had this, uh, this pressure all the time of, of being like Jesus, you know, but, and sometimes people maybe even expected James uh, to be like Jesus. But James was just James. He wasn't James Christ. <laughs> he was Jesus Christ, his brother. And, and remember, remember at the, uh, the wedding where Jesus' first miracle, where he was uh, at this wedding and they, um, this great feast, and they would celebrate for days, and, and they ran out, of, ran out of wine, right? And Jesus... Uh, performed the miracle, and he took the water and turned it into wine. You know, and that's a great miracle. Awesome. And those of you who like wine, yeah, great miracle. Okay, but but James, I can imagine James at maybe maybe the next celebration of the of a, of a feast for a wedding. Can you imagine? Maybe Jesus left early, or or Jesus didn't attend, or whatever, and they ran out of wine, and they're they're all looking at James. <laughs> hey, hey, James, how about it? Can, can you do this? No, he can't. He can't do that because he is just James. He is just fully human. You know, I, I, I had a little brother. His name's Brian. And Brian would go everywhere I would go. Everywhere I'd go, he'd like, go to the woods, go on the bike ride, whatever. My brother would follow me. So, so uh, I would lead, and he would follow. I can imagine James. I, I can imagine that there have probably been a couple of times where James almost drowned. Walking on water. So James, you know, James couldn't be like Jesus. I mean, I, and I'm sure James had some issues. James had some issues. You know, uh, I can imagine him going to his mom and dad and saying, hey, what, what can I do with this for some advice? And to be like, hey, what would Jesus do? You know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I mean, what kind of pressure? But Jesus was a son of God. 
And there are things that only Jesus can do. I know sometimes we think we're, we're, we're like James and we can kind of fix some things, but no, we can't. We don't have the power in our lives to remove sin, to, uh, to, ha- to turn away from sin that has us entrapped and has us in, in bondage. We can't do that with just our power. We need the power of God in our life. And we can't do that by ourselves. So only Jesus, there are only things that he could do. And there was a story, there's lots of stories, but this one in particular in God's word is about a story of a woman who was healed. And Jesus healed her, and he didn't really do it on purpose. He didn't do it intentionally. He didn't walk over to her and heal her. And so, again, something only Jesus can do, but we're going to find it later, obviously, with the faith of this woman. So let me set up the story. So Jesus just got off a boat. He came across the Sea of Galilee, big, big lake, huge, like a sea. And so he came off the boat, and he was walking to the next town, and there was obviously a crowd around him. Popularity was really high, and uh, there, was a, there was a synagogue leader who came to him and said, my daughter is on her deathbed, please come and heal her. So Jesus immediately said, yeah, I'll go. So as he's going to this house, this crowd of people are are touching him and around him, and and Jesus senses something in in his body, in his spirit, and he senses that power has come out from under him, and he stops, and he says, who touched me? Well, you can... You can imagine the disciples. You can imagine the disciples who are like, what do you mean who, t- who touched you? I mean, there's all kinds of people that are touching you. But what the disciples didn't realize and the crowd didn't realize is there was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Major medical issue. She has spent her life savings on medical professionals of that time, trying to cure her of her continuous bleeding. And, and with that, even her bleeding, uh, according to Jewish law, if you have that continuous bleeding, you're considered unclean until you have a time where you're not bleeding, and then you can go to a ceremonial cleansing and all this stuff. So she was not only, not only hurting and medical condition and bleeding, but she was also considered an outcast. So here's this crowd, picture it with me, this crowd around Jesus, he's walking towards this man whose daughter is about to die, and this woman sees an opportunity, and she crawls on her hands and feet through the crowd, pushes her way in, and touches the very end of his outer garment. Because she's thinking, if I can just get my way in there, I believe, I believe that Jesus can heal my sickness. And so she touched his garment. And immediately, the Bible says, immediately stopped. And so Jesus said, who touched me? We find this in Mark chapter 30, in Mark chapter 5, verse 33. And it says this, 
He's looking around. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. He did not look down at her and say, what do, you, what do you think you're doing? Trying to get power from me without asking me? You're supposed to ask me. You're supposed to say, Jesus, Jesus, come, come heal me. Like this guy that I'm going to their, to their house. No, he did not do that. Why? Because he is good. He is kind. And he is filled with love. And he had compassion on her. Your faith has made you whole. So at that time, a messenger came from the man's house, a synagogue leader. Remember, there's two stories in one here. And the messenger came from his house and said, your daughter has died. Your daughter has died. Of course, I can imagine everything just, just breaks open. Just people crying. Jesus, okay, there's a woman, father, who was still with Jesus. All right? He's like, come on, Jesus. Okay, there's a woman. Okay, she... She needs to be healed. That's, that's good. Okay, that's kind. That's great. All right, come on. Let's go. That's what I'd be like. Look, my, my kid, my kid, 12-year-old girl is, is, is dying. You know, that's, that's how I would be. And so Jesus goes on to his house, even though word got to them that she died. And there was hope. Jesus walked toward his house. He didn't walk away. He walked toward, and there was hope. And so Jesus went to the house, and as we find in Mark, same chapter, chapter 5, verse 41, it says this. Jesus took her by the hand, the 12-year-old girl, and said to her, Talitha kaum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Completely astonished. Completely astonished. I would have picked a different word for that. I'd be like, freaked out. <laughs> I'd be like, are you kidding me? This is amazing. You just, you just raised a girl from the dead. She was dying. She died. No pulse. No heartbeat. There was no breath, no rise and fall of the stomach, dead. And Jesus came and healed her. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. You know, she did not heal herself. She did not rise from the dead by herself. Her parents did not do anything to, to raise her from the dead. Nobody else could have done that except for Jesus. So here's the deal. On the way to a funeral, right? She, she died. On the way to a funeral and probably, obviously, a burial, on the way to a funeral and a burial, what did Jesus do? He stopped, he paused, and he stopped the bleeding. He stopped the bleeding in someone's life. But this wasn't the only time that Jesus did this. There was another time when Jesus was on his way to a funeral, and he did 
something that only Jesus can do. He was on his way to his own funeral. He was on his way to his own funeral, to his own burial, in the tomb. That's, that was the end goal with obviously the resurrection three days later. But the end goal was to die and be placed in the earth, in a cave, stone in there, dead. That was his goal. That was the plan all along. But on his way to that funeral, to that burial, just like that girl, he stopped. He paused. And he did something that only you, that only Jesus can do. And we could not. We could not. Jesus stopped the bleeding. Now let me explain. So, well, man, Frank, I've seen all kinds of movies where Jesus is on the cross, and there's a lot of blood. I'm not talking about his bleeding. I'm not talking about his bleeding. Jesus stopped the bleeding in our lives. He stopped the bleeding in our lives. And not only that, symbolically, he stopped the bleeding of the sacrifice. Because before Jesus, God said, all right, I need to reconcile you to me because you have sin. I do not Therefore, those two cannot mix. And so in order for there to be reconciliation between us, then someone, that you need to die for your sin. But if you don't want to die, then you need to uh, provide an innocent lamb and you need to sacrifice it. And, and the fathers would come and place their hand on the head of the lamb and the families would come around them. And it was symbolic of their sins being passed on to the lamb while the priest slit the lamb's throat and blood flowed. No longer was that needed. Why? Jesus stopped the bleeding. Jesus stopped the bleeding. No more. No more of that. We have a new plan. Jesus has a new plan. Because what, what happened is, instead of you and I bleeding in our lives, we're going to talk about it in a second, but instead of you and I bleeding in our lives, Jesus has bled for us. Because it really should be us on that cross because of our sin. It should be us on that cross. And because of that, because of Jesus' love, he bled for us. And he stopped the bleeding in our life. He became sin for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 him, Jesus, who had no sin to be what? Sin for us. Sin for you. So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. We cannot have righteousness with sin in our life. And if I don't want to ask you if you've sinned, every hand would have raised. You would. Because everybody in this room has sinned. And because of that, we have separation from God, and there is no righteousness within us. There's nothing good within us, except for when we believe that Jesus Christ became sin for us. He took our bleeding. So God made Jesus the ultimate sacrifice. 
And just like the woman who was down on the ground, on her knees, crawling to where hope was. Jesus, trying to carry his cross after being beaten 39 times, after having a, a thorn, a crown of thorns on his head pushed down, after having been spit upon and his parts of his beard pulled out, put a heavy cross beam and expect him to carry it up a hill for a mile. That's a, that's a tough task. Fallen to his knees. Had, a, had another gentleman in town. They grabbed him, carried this beam. So Jesus is on the ground, on his knees, and he's looking up to where that end mile marker is, to hope. He didn't give up. He did not give up. He kept fighting. He kept pushing towards hope. Why? To stop the bleeding. To stop the bleeding. Just like the woman. Crawling to hope. Trying to stop the bleeding. Jesus did that for us. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a bleeding problem? Do you have a bleeding problem? Let me explain. Do you feel like sometimes in your life that there's areas in your life that it's like the energy is just running dry? You know, obvious, if we lose a lot of blood, one of the first things that go is our strength. It's our energy. It's tired. Tiring. You know, when you get blood, that's when a lot of people faint. <laughs> Why? Because they just gave a lot of blood. And their body has to, has to replace that blood and has time for that. And, but you lose energy when you lose blood. And so there could be areas in your life where you feel like you are bleeding. Let me share a couple of examples. If you're married here today, for those of you who are married, I know we got a lot of singles here. Just as an example, marriage is hard. Marriage is tough. And sometimes marriage can get at a place in our lives where it just feels like we're bleeding. We're bleeding. Maybe the other spouse has said some things to harm us emotionally, maybe even physically. Maybe that spouse does not pay attention to us sort of meet our needs or whatever. Or maybe you have ignored your spouse. Maybe it's you who, who are, who've really taken that first step to say, you know what, I'm done. But what the problem is, the reason why you're, you're done is because you're tired. And the reason why you're tired is because you've lost blood. You're bleeding. You're bleeding. Your marriage is bleeding. What about finances? Man, I feel like sometimes God gets our, our checkbook and just, you know, or somebody just rips a hole right in it and is bleeding, you know. It's like, man, how can we replace this? But, but our finances, trying to make good choices, whenever we're, we're, we're spending things just for ourselves, 
and we don't have any generosity, and, and we get into debt because we want this, we want to keep up with these people, we want these certain things, and, and the sin of, of covetousness comes in our life, and we covet this and we want that, and we use money as the avenue for that, bleeding. Our finances are bleeding. Now, it may not be, it may not be gushing out. It may be just a drip and another drip and another drip, but it's bleeding. Finances, marriages could be bleeding. What about, what about reputation? That you're, what about reputation? Maybe you've said some things to some people that you're ashamed of, and, and your pride is, is, is too big to, to fight that, to go back to those people and say, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for this. But because you've said some things, because you've done some things, because you've maybe made some wrong choices, maybe your reputation is bleeding. Maybe you're to the point to where, man, I am just ashamed. I'm just ashamed. And why would God accept me with all these choices that I've made, why would God accept me when I'm living a life of shame, bleeding? What about, what about your purity? What about your purity? Things we, things we look at, things we think about. It, is there areas in your life in purity where blood is just dripping or maybe blood is flowing and you're like that woman and it can't be stopped and you have spent all your energy trying to control the bleeding in your life and you can't on your own and you're tired and you're at the end but let me tell you something just like that woman. We don't know her name. But just like that woman, it takes you crawling to the cross. Crawling to the place where you can have hope. Crawling to Jesus, who is the only one who can help control the bleeding. The only one who can stop the bleeding. Well, Frank, that's great. That's a great analogy. You're kind of speaking in some sort of vague terms. What does that look like? I've got bleeding in my life. I've got bleeding in my marriage, in my finances. I'm looking at things I shouldn't be looking at. I've got bleeding. I've got blood all over my life. How do I control this? I'm hemorrhaging. I've got internal bleeding that people don't even know exists. How do I control that? Well, much like the lady who came to Jesus. First of all, let me encourage you to, to approach it in humility. Say, God, I, I, I can't do this on my own. I'm so sorry. I've, I've tried to control this bleeding, and I can't. I, I've hurt people. I've said some things of people. I've been so selfish in my life. I've done some things, I've looked at some things, and, I, and, and I, I'm trying to control it, but I can't. I'm trying to fix it, but I can't on my own. I need your help. It takes you getting on your knees like that woman in humility and crawling to the cross. 
crawling to Jesus. It takes humility. That's the first thing. The second thing is, it takes faith. It takes faith. In that chapter, in Mark 5, 34, Jesus said it. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Notice he said, hey, man, I'm glad you touched me because, yeah, I healed you. Yeah, I, I know you, you thought, yeah, and you happen to be right, but I healed you. No, he said, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has healed you. So here's what you need to do. Not only do you need to approach God in humility, but you need to approach it in faith and say, I believe that only Jesus can stop this hemorrhaging in my life, can stop this bleeding in my life. I believe that. Your faith has healed you. It was 100% her faith. So it's your faith. It's your faith that stops the bleeding. It's your faith that stops the bleeding. If you feel like that, that if you approach Jesus in humility, and if you, if you know, if you know that once you approach in humility that, that he can provide the ability for healing and to stop the bleeding, it takes faith. Second thing, it takes confession. It takes confession. Lord Jesus, yeah, it, it is me. Confession. It is me. I have done these things. The woman, the woman said, yeah, it is me. When Jesus said, who touched me? She did not go off running. She didn't go off running. She stayed there. She says, yes, it is me. I am the one that touched you. So when you are ready to stop this bleeding in your life, just say, God, I, I come before you. I've made them these mistakes. I made these mistakes. And, 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 I, and I've, I've said some things, but I know that you can stop this bleeding. Humility, faith, and confession. And just know this. When you do those things, what is Jesus going to do? What is Jesus going to do? Because some of you are out there going, you know, Frank, I, I, I've got so much bleeding in my life. I am covered in blood in my life. There's no way Jesus is going to have a great response to this. Because I've been bleeding a long time, all right? Have you been bleeding for 12 years? Because that woman was bleeding for 12 years, obviously physically, but I'm talking about spiritual level for you. That woman was, was bleeding physically for 12 years. He touched, she touched Jesus, even though she was unclean, considered unclean, she touched his garment. And Jesus what was his response? Love. Love. 
He learned it from his father. Because he is a good, good father.